There we go. All right. What's up, guys? Good morning. How are we doing today? You guys have your Bibles? All right. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and we're going to be in a message entitled, A Soldier, An Athlete, and a Farmer. Okay? And you might be very confused. Okay? No, it is not the beginning of a joke, uh, but rather the illustrations of our study today. We're going to see today how the Christian life relates to being a soldier, being an athlete, and yes, even being a farmer. All right? So you guys good? You guys have your Bibles open? We're going to read uh, the first seven verses of chapter two, okay? We are now uh, down one chapter in 2 Timothy. We got three to go, and today marks that beginning of this new chapter. Uh, if you were here with us last week, remember being in the high school room? Who was here last week? It was kind of crazy in there, right? No? Yes? No? There's a lot of people second service, but it is good to be back in here today with you. And last week, we looked at that powerful encouragement of Paul to hold fast and to keep guard on what God had committed into his trust. And in chapter two, uh, we continue to see this unfolding of Paul's final words to Timothy, okay? So uh, you will certainly need a Bible, 2 Timothy 2, and we'll start in verse 1 and read down to verse 7, all right? You guys good? All right, verse 1, it says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And God, this is our prayer this morning as we come to your word and we consider it. Lord, as we meditate on this passage, we pray that you would give us the spiritual insight and understanding that we need as we learn. Lord, we don't want this just to be a classroom setting. Lord, we're not at school. Lord, we are here to meet the one and true living God. And we pray that you would speak to us out of your eternal word, exactly what you want for our lives. God, would you give us the determination that what we hear today would be something that we would ingest and take into our lives, and that when we leave this place, it would leave with us, that you would give us the right application for our very personal lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. All right, so we're going to start a little bit backwards today as we begin to break down these seven verses, okay? We're actually going to start with verse seven. And the first point today is this. It is the consideration. Uh, as we read verse seven again, it's going to make a little more sense why we would start here. But Paul capstones, he, he puts a cap 
at the end of this passage with a very important biblical truth that relates to not just this passage, this passage, but passages in general. I want you to look once again, look in your own Bible, whatever you have on your lap, look at verse seven once more. He says, consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. This word consider, you can note it down. It means to think. It means to ponder and reflect on. It is that meditation that's being talked about here that we find in Psalm 1 that tells us that we are to meditate on God's word day and night. You see, to really consider something is different than just reading something. It's not just to read it once and put a check mark next to it. It is to read it and to think through it. I remember when I was younger, my parents had the hardest time getting me to read anything. I hated reading. And I remember my mom would schedule these times throughout the week of you're going to read this book. And I would sit there and I would read, but ain't nothing was getting through. I would just, it would just be one chapter. Yep, I read one chapter. What's about? I have no idea. Okay, to consider is something completely different. It is to read it and then think again through it from all angles. Uh, there's times when I'm feeling a little bit lazy and uh, I'll go and rather washing than washing my truck, I will go to the car wash, okay? And uh, sometimes it's just uh, how it is. I don't have kids yet that can wash my cars, okay? One day. But, uh, you know, most people, if you go to the car wash, most people, you know how, you know, you're waiting. Have you ever been to the car wash? Okay. No, you're usually the car wash, right? At your home. Okay. So usually, right, you're there and you're waiting for the car to be done. And as they finish, right, they'll do a little doot doot. They'll do a little honk, right? And, and then the, the, the guy will wave his hand and then your parents or whoever it might be will come over to the car. They'll take the keys, start the engine and take off. Okay. I don't do that. Uh, every time they hand me the keys, I say, thank you. I tip them. Okay. Christians always should tip. Okay. Uh, that's another side side thing we're not going to get into, but I'll tip the guy. But then before I just get in the car and, and not consider anything, I'm going to consider the job that was done. I don't want my, I don't want my uh, bumper to be dented. I don't want there to be a big scratch. And so for me, you know, I just, I walk around the truck. I'll open the door. I'll look, okay. Like did they, did they just appear that they vacuumed or did they actually vacuum? Right. And I'm considering it from all angles because I'm not crazy and I know things happen. And I know there's sketchy people that work places and I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right. And most people though, they get in their car without second thought. Why do I bring this up? You see, for me, it is an example uh, to consider something. It is to see it from all angles, what is here and what, what is being done here. Well, you and I are to consider what God has said through, to us through his word. To consider the scriptures is to sit with them, to be in no rush and have no agenda. It is to chew on the words of the Bible over and over again until they are broken down and digestible. It is to soak in the scripture so that it washes over you again and again, not just a quick dip. And I want you to notice though, the promise that comes with considering, with, with taking the scriptures and sitting with them. Look back at verse seven. What we see here, he says, consider what I say 
And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I want everyone to listen. God blesses consideration with understanding. A lot of people complain that they can't under the, understand the Bible, but it's simply for a lack of consideration. You see, God's not in heaven trying to hold back, this is secret and, and you, gotta, you gotta unlock certain keys to understand. No, he wants us to consider so that he can give us understanding. But if we're not willing to put in the time to sit and to look and to think and rethink, then God's not gonna give understanding. The idea of understanding is comprehension, right? It's like what we talked about earlier, how you can read a chapter and have no intelligence about that chapter. Simply one, right, in one um, way or another, you're just kind of uh, spending time, but you're not comprehending. I want to give you verse seven in the Amplified Bible version. Have you guys ever heard about the Amplified version of the Bible? So it can be helpful because it, it'll kind of expand on certain things while being scripturally accurate, okay? It's good, it's a good study tool. And the Amplified says verse seven like this, think over the things I am saying or grasp their application for the Lord will grant you insight and understanding in everything. And this concept applies not just to what we're reading today, but the whole of scripture. And honestly, there is both a practical and a spiritual element to this. The, the practical side is that if you just study something long enough, you're gonna begin to understand it, whether it's scripture or whether it's something else. But the Bible though, additionally, has a spiritual aspect to it. And it is as you give effort and attention to God's word that God is able to bring an understanding spiritually. It's not just a regular book, that there is a spiritual element to it, where if someone does not have the spirit of God living in them, does not have what the Bible refers to as the anointing, then they're gonna be able to understand the Bible, but they're gonna miss a lot of the application. They're, they're gonna miss certain things because the Bible tells us in 1 John Chapter 2, verse 26 and 27 says this. John says, these things I have written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. Notice verse 27. But the anointing, everyone say anointing. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. What's being talked about? Well, the Bible says that you and I have this anointing as a believer to be able to understand what God has said and what God wants us to do. And it's not for a lack of ability that we can't understand the Bible. It's a lack of effort on our part because we don't consider. But what I've found in my life is as I sit and consider, God is so faithful you see, you and I, the Bible says, have the Holy Spirit in us. And Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said to his disciples in that upper room that last night before he was crucified, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He said, look, I got a lot more to tell you, you guys, but you just don't have the capacity to understand. But then he talked about a future time. You see, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so he says this, however, notice on the screen, 
However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. Now, that's a long introduction as we look at the end of what we're looking at today, verse 7, but it's important as we now go back to verse 1. So let's, give, let's keep this in mind. Let's give God, during these few moments we have together, careful consideration. I'd encourage any of you, if you're leaning back, sit up. If you are, uh, had plans to not listen today, change it. Give God your consideration and see what he wants to speak to you today. And so with this in mind, uh, let's go to our next point today, which is the continuance, okay? The continuance, which we find in verses one through two. And we're going to find that this is really build up for our focus today, which will be on our three illustrations, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. But he is continuing what he was talking about in chapter one. So if you have your Bibles open, we'll look back at verse one. It says this, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now notice that Paul calls Timothy his son. Okay, it's not that he was actually his birth son, okay? It, it is a reference to that Paul was Timothy's spiritual mentor, that he looked at Timothy like a true son in the faith. And so he tells them right here, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. And this is that continuation. Think back to last week, right? Because what we do in these series as we go through a letter is we build upon what we had previously studied. And so last week, remember, there was that encouragement to hold fast. Timothy, don't let go. Some people are going to walk away from the Lord. Don't let go. Well, now he, there is this more, there's more of this encouragement. And he says, be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. And honestly, remember I was sharing with you the consideration thing? This was, was a little bit I don't know why, difficult for me to understand. And so I just sat with the text. I sat with what God was wanting to say. Okay, be strong in grace. What does that mean? Be strong in grace. Does that mean I'm to go to the gym? Does that mean what, what, what's happening? Be strong. Well, the idea behind this is this. God's grace is the means by which you and I become strong. Meaning Timothy here is to be strong, but the only way that he's going to have strength is in God's grace. I want you to write something down. Power comes from grace. Power comes from grace. And Paul is telling Timothy here to draw his strength, not from his own resources, but from the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this, it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is what Jesus told Paul when going through a difficult time. You see, to be strong in his grace is number one, to confess your need and dependence that you don't have any strength. And for the believer, that's a great place to start. That confession of God, I can't do it, I need you. That's what it means to be strong in the grace 
of Christ. What, what is not being communicated here is just uh, this exhortation, just, just be strong, hang in there. No, it is to tap into the resource that is called grace, which God gives to us. John chapter 1, verse 16, when talking about Jesus, the scripture tells us this, and of his fullness, all of who he is, we have all received grace for grace. The idea is that God's not short on grace. I mean, that if there's a day that you need strength, that God's not like, oh, I'm all tapped out of grace. I'm all tapped out of this unmerited favor. Sorry, can't help you today. All out of grace, try back again tomorrow. No, that Jesus is, is full of grace, the Bible says, and he gives us as we receive grace for grace. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Thank God that his resources are abundant. You see, the words here, when it says be strong in grace, are in the continuous sense. Meaning that you and I, this is something that we have to do continually. It's not a one-time thing. You don't just charge your phone once. It is something that you have to do daily. And for you and I, our strength does not come upon our own resources, but on the resources of God. And so what's being communicated is that Timothy is to tap into God's resource of grace. And the Bible describes for us that if you need something, if you need strength, if you need wisdom, the Bible says that the way we tap into, the way we plug ourselves into God is through prayer, is through asking him. If you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, you see Nehemiah do this as he's in difficult situations. He'll just throw up this quick prayer of God, strengthen my hands. But it is something that is not, oh, I, I, I asked God for help three years ago. <laughs> well, you're three years short now. You're in the negative. But the awesome thing is that when, even though maybe you haven't asked God for strength and you haven't relied on his grace for your life and what he wants to do through your life, that as far as you get away and as long as you've not asked him for your grace, one simple prayer, God says, I will meet you and I will give you, notice James 4, 6, more grace. And the Bible says here that it is by this strength in God's grace that Timothy is going to continue on. Notice, look at verse two in your Bible. He says, he goes on, he says, and the things that you have heard from me, right? He's, he's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I've told you everything I got. I'm on death row, I got nothing left. That you are the one to carry things on. What you've heard from me, he says, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this is similar to what we talked about last week, this, this entrusting, right? And we see this progression. We see that Jesus spoke to Paul about the gospel and his word. Then Paul spoke to Timothy about what Jesus told him. And now Timothy is to go and tell others what Paul told him, what Jesus had told Paul. Do you see the progression? And this is the progression where, it, where we are today. It's because people have talked about God and shared the gospel for now centuries, and you and I are here. There's a commentator that calls this the living chain of truth that extends through the centuries. And this is the Great Commission. Do you guys know about the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. One of the very last things that Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, 
go and tell others what you, what I told you. That's what Jesus told the disciples. So what did the disciples do? They took what Jesus said and they told others. And then those others took what Jesus said and told others. This is the great commission. This is our ministry. And this is serving the Lord. And it is at this point that Paul dives into these three illustrations that we're gonna look at. These three analogies. You guys know what an analogy is or metaphor, right? It, it is something that is connected to a truth and an illustration. And it is for this purpose that he uses these illustrations to bring clarity and understanding of all of what he has said so far, okay? So what I want you to understand is we dive into those three things, right? Soldier, athlete, and farmer. We need to realize that the context is in the context of the Great Commission. It is so that you can take what God's given you and God can use you in that chain of truth that has gone on for centuries and you can be a part of God's work. You can be a, God, a part of God's kingdom. And so we come now to the comparison. We come now to the comparison. This is where we'll settle down for a little while. In verses three through six, we find those three analogies, okay? We find those three illustrations. Now, if you didn't know, okay, God is a pretty great teacher, uh, I don't know about you, I've had some good teachers in my life and I've had some really bad teachers in my life. I've had some teachers that literally just, we just watch movies the whole time or they put up uh, something on the board and say, good luck, we'll see you next week, uh, right? And, and you've had good and bad, I'm sure like me. Well, when we look at God, he's a great teacher and we see this best lived out and exemplified in the life of Christ, and when you ponder, when you consider the way that Jesus taught, you see how often he used illustrations, stories, comparisons, analogies. And he, the reason he did this is to teach spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. See, what Jesus wanted to do while here on earth one of the things is he wanted to, right, pour into these 12 disciples. And that was one of his main purposes. And oftentimes he used these, these stories. He used these illustrations. And his whole heart was bringing these big things about who God is. And in a sense, taking the cookies off the top shelf and putting them on the bottom shelf so that it was able to be reached. So that the disciples who weren't always the smartest of men, were able to grasp and understand. And as we come across, across those similar illustrations, or like today we're looking at what Paul would use as an analogy or an illustration, that the purpose of them is for our understanding. God desires to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, but it's our choice whether we will eat them or not. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to look at today uh, in, this, in, the, in these three illustrations is a soldier, okay, is a soldier. Look at verses three and four, verse three and four. You guys still have your Bibles open? Yes? If you have your Bibles open, say word. word. All right, now look at verse 
3. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Using this analogy of a soldier, Paul shares with us two aspects of how to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay, the first one is this, that one of the ways that you and I can be a good soldier in the army of God is that a good soldier endures. A good soldier endures. And he says that, that as a good soldier, you must endure hardship. And you and I, in our life, uh, we must endure hardship. The idea is to withstand trouble or to suffer evil, but make it through. And think about it. Doesn't a soldier sign up knowing there will be hardship? You see, hardship is not something foreign to a soldier. It's not like someone goes, signs up to be in the Marines, gets to boot camp, and they're like, after the first day, they're like, that was hard. I, yeah, I, did, I, I can't imagine why. Or, or going through boot camp and getting on the battleground and, and with, with bullets flying and sweat and dirt and blood and all the craziness that battle and war can bring, they're not surprised. Now, it, they might, it might be crazier than they expected, but you sign up. No, one, no soldier signed up and be like, this is going to be a walk in the park. This is going to be like going to the beach. No, not at all. And you and I will endure hardship. It's actually what a soldier expects. It's actually odd for a soldier if he were to sign up and be like, this is, this is, like, this is like going to Disneyland on a cool day with no lines. No, you see, any soldier who retreats at the first sign of hardship, what does that make them? Does anyone know? A coward and actually a traitor. That a soldier signs up knowing what they're getting themselves into and the expectation is that no one would retreat. That the heart, when the hardship does come, they wouldn't turn back. See, back in the day, uh, even, even within George Washington's army, if a soldier became terrified and ran away, they would actually shoot that soldier. Like, oh, why, why would they do that? Because what that soldier will inflict in the rest of the soldiers is, does anyone know? Fear. And so it was actually better for the lives of the entire uh, army to take out the retreater because they were now considered a traitor because of fear. Oh, wait, what, how does this relate to spiritual life? Well, John 16, Jesus said this. He told us how it would be. He told us there would be trouble. These things, he says, I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. Does he say you might have tribulation? Does he say it could happen? No, he says you will. But he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. You see, one of the coolest things about being a soldier in God's army is that we already know the outcome of the battle. And that's what can give us confidence to stay in the fight and not turn back. So you and I, we are in a spiritual battle, a war to fight. We're in an enemy occupied area, but you and I can take courage. We can be of good heart because no matter how difficult life becomes, we know how it ends. 
And that is what can give you endurance in the face of difficulty because you know if I just keep fighting, there is victory to be accomplished. It is already guaranteed. The battle has already been won. Think about it for a moment. Is there any better motivation for a general to say to his soldiers in, in in that final encouragement before they go out that there is guaranteed victory? Do you think there's something better that that general could say? Now, oftentimes they wouldn't know, but God says to us, you have a guaranteed victory that even in Christ, the Bible says to die is gain. Meaning the worst thing that in the life, in, in the, in the life of a person, right? The worst thing in the, in the view of the world, someone without Christ is to die. But that is flipped, that is turned around. And for the Christian, the worst thing that happens ends up becoming the greatest thing that we will ever experience. And this is what can strengthen us when we reflect on the victory that we have in Christ, knowing the worst thing is actually the best thing. Yet God has seen fit. If you still have breath in your lungs, he hasn't taken you out of the battle. You're still in but we can endure hardship knowing the end. Does that make sense? Second thing is this, a good good soldier is engaged, not entangled. A good soldier is engaged, not entangled. That word engaged, that word engaged, it's the idea to be active in battle, literally to wage war. Look back at verse four. He says, no one engaged, not like with the ring, okay? No one engaged, in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. These two words, right? We find these two E words. To be engaged is to be in the war. It's not to be on the bench. And to be entangled, it means to be involved in, to be weaved into. You see, for a good soldier of Christ, you and I must be in the game, not on the sidelines. But the temptation for you and I as Christians will be that we become entangled, we'll be involved in, we will be trapped in the affairs of this life. The the whole idea of the affairs of this life is the civilian life, right? When you sign up to be a soldier, when you sign up to go into the military, you are literally signing your rights away. Did you know that? That there's paperwork that you have to sign that are basically, you are now not a citizen with normal rights. You are actually stripped of some of those rights voluntarily and willingly, unless of course it's a draft, but God doesn't make anyone come into his kingdom, right? And so there's this volunteer and, but there's this temptation to become entangled again in civilian affairs. This this idea of, think about this word entangled, okay? What's the root word? Tangled. Ladies, have you ever gotten your hair tangled? Oh man, I, I feel scarred of watching my sister when we were younger and my dad forcefully brushing her hair and trying to get the tangles out, right? And her screaming. I feel scarred from that. Uh, maybe you have similar stories, right? Dads are always just kind of, anyway, um, right? This, this tangled, I mean, it's all just, ladies, have you ever had your hair just like so tangled? It's insane. And you're like, we should just cut it off because there's no other option. This word entangled, you know, it's the idea of how a fly, right, gets entangled in a spider web, 
where now that, that spider, that, that fly is just, it's trapped. It's, it's all caught up in the web. Imagine a soldier in the middle of battle, bullets flying, bombs bursting, and they're checking their phone, wondering what the score of the Dodger game is. Imagine a, a, a woman in the military, you know, they, they're there, they're in a bunker, things are nuts, and they're trying to gain ground, and things are going back and forth, grenades are going off, and she's like, my nails, oh no. She's like, my hair is getting messed up, game over, I'm done, going home. Imagine, imagine a soldier in the midst of battle thinking about, I wonder what we're going to have for food later. No, no, no. If you've ever seen any kind of war movies, which I know they're not always realistic, but I'm sure they're, there's similar aspects, right? Some are more realistic than others, but they are focused on the mission. They're not wondering. They, they could care less about what they're eating. They don't even think food is not even something on their mind. They can eat off. They're just eating dirt because it doesn't even matter. Nothing matters except the mission at hand. The idea is that there is this single-mindedness. And that's what you might want to write down under this idea of soldier. This single-mindedness. You see, you and I, aren't to be in the military reserves. Do you guys know what the military reserves are? Some people that, that they're, they're not facing action. I knew someone where just about, a, you know, he had a normal job going to school and once a month he was in the reserves. And so once a month they would go to base and check in and things. And if something were to happen, then those reserves would be called up, right? It, it is a uh, wise plan to plan ahead in case something, in case there was an attack against the country and we needed to pull up troops, right? You and I, are not to be in the military reserves. Well, when things get crazy or God needs something, then I'll step up and, no, you and I are to be in active duty, active duty. And it speaks of pursuing those things so much to the extent to be entangled in something is that now you are so distracted that you are no longer free to do what your duty is to do. And now those things... Is, is checking the score of the Dodger game a sin? To some of you angel fans, it might be. But listen, it's not a sin. It is being worried about your, your, your nails and those things. But now if I become consumed, that I begin to be so focused on every game, all 162 Dodger games in the year, that I start not talking to my wife Haley, that I start... You know, I, I don't study at all for messages. And then it becomes an issue. You see, a good desire becomes a bad desire when it becomes a ruling desire. Do you guys hear me? A good desire becomes a bad desire when it becomes a ruling desire. When it now you are so focused on other things that will have no significance in eternity, but yet so often, how do we not live our lives like this? that we spend our times playing a video game for eight hours a day that will have not even, they won't even have benefit here, let alone eternity. That we can spend so much time being so focused on, on something that's good. It's a great sport. Love, you might, some of you might be super involved in baseball. Awesome. Is it distracting from the mission that God has for you? We have to balance these things. Hebrews 12, one and two, doesn't describe them, uh, they're that, 
there's a description here of both sins and weights. Here it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, there's some things that aren't sins, but they become sins because they're weighing us down. You see, each and every one of us, we need to consider, we need to think about our own life and see, are there any weights that are dragging you down from the purposes that God has for you in your life? And so what we learn from the soldier is that the Christian is to have single-mindedness. The Christian is to have a focus and a devotion to the cause of Christ. The second is an athlete, okay? A soldier and an athlete. Verse five, look in your Bibles. It says also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, this illustration is honestly pretty straightforward. It's not that long of a verse and it makes sense. Basically what he says, if you enter a competition, you will only win, you will only get crowned if you complete, compete in accordance with the rules. Now, this comes in the context of the Olympic Games in the ancient world, something that was uh, huge at the time. And those who desire to compete, one of the ancient things that we know uh, from history is that one of the big rules uh, to compete in the Olympic Games at that point in history was that you had to have a minimum of focused 10-month training leading up to the Olympics. Now, for for Olympics these days, they have four years of right, intense training. But they had to do this, and they had to actually say under oath, yes, I've been doing nothing but whatever sport it might have been. And if they had n not done that, if there was not that 10-month prior, then they would not have been able to compete. Now, Paul is not telling Timothy here that Christianity is competition. And when he talks about an athlete, it's not like I'm trying to get ahead of, of, of Anthony and, and my walk. And so, because I want, you know, when we get there, I'm going to be crowned and I want to, no, it's not that it's a competition. He's relating the truth that our Christian life, listen, our Christian life can't be lived how we think. It has to be lived in accordance to what God says. But in, this is not the only place that Paul uses this illustration. He seemed to love the illustration of an athlete and how it relates to our life as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 9, I know it might be a little small on the screen, but he, he references this illustration again. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, all one but one receives the prize? Right? There's one winner. He says, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He says, and everyone who competes for the prizes, temperate in all things, they have self-control. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You see, you and I, are to be disciplined in our walks with God. And it has to be according to the, the rules. It has to be according to his word that he has set before us. And Paul here declares, he says, I, I bring my body into what God wants it to do, not what I want it to do. David Guzik, 
Bible commentator, he says about this verse, he says, it is possible to fall into the mistake of thinking that we can make up our own rules for our Christian life. For some people, their special arrangement goes something like this. I know this is a sin, but God understands, so I'll just keep going in the sin. This goes against the attitude of an athlete who must compete according to the rules. Maybe you've heard before, where well, I'm a Christian, but uh, it's okay for me to cuss because God doesn't mind because I, taught, I, I, get, I gave a lot on Sunday, so I'll be able to get away with a couple of these things here. Maybe you've heard, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but it's okay that I have sex before marriage because you know, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. And so I, you see, those types of comments, they don't align with what God has said. And you and I must be disciplined in God's word. See, we have what God has asked for us in the Bible, and it doesn't change person to person. Did you know that God's standard of holiness doesn't move per person? There is one set standard, and he's put it in his word. And so what we learn from the athlete is that the Christian is to have a wholehearted discipline in every area of life. There is a set standard and that standard doesn't move, and it always is in line with what God has said. Does that make sense? All right, so we got the soldier, we got the athlete, and last but certainly not least, this is the one I would think you would be most interested in. You and I are to be farmers for Jesus. We should start like a, a club or something, farmers for Jesus. Get, get t-shirts. Look at verse six in your Bibles. Last verse that we're looking at. He says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, this is one in the New King James Version that for me, I really gotta, I, I don't know what it means at first, but through some consideration, through like I shared with you, looking at other versions of the Bible, uh, it helps bring some clarity. I like how the NASB version of the Bible, it's a great version, uh, something trusted and uh, accurate. It says this, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops. You see, that makes a lot more sense to me how my brain works. If the farmer works hard, then he is going to experience harvest, right? He's going to be the first one to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Is that not true? Like if a farmer, he's first going to take that, that that corn that he grew, and he's going to bring it inside his home and feed it to his family before he goes out to sell it, right? He is the first one that gets to enjoy that. And what Paul is relating here is the concept of hard work and that the hard work that we put in into our relationship with God is worth it. That the fruits that will not only be for others, but that we personally will experience will be awesome. Notice he doesn't say the lazy farmer because those two things are contradictory to one another. They contradict each other. A lazy farmer, they don't exist because lazy farmers, they go under, they can't sustain the business. And same with the lazy Christian. Lazy Christian doesn't last. That the fruit of the lab their labor, it doesn't exist. The Bible describes for us that some will actually make it to heaven and they'll make it. They were believers, but they'll, they'll have no fruit. The Bible says that God desires to reward us for everything we do for him. 
But it's going to be wild to think that some people will enter eternity and they'll have nothing to show for it. Now, praise God, they're there. Uh, it is not based upon their work that they made it there, but they didn't live their life for Jesus, and so they have no fruit. And so what we learn from the farmer is that the Christian is to have an all-out dedication to the work of the Lord, that it is through our labor that God blesses us with a fruitful life. And so what do we see in these three things? A soldier, we learn that we learn about devotion. From an athlete, we learn about discipline. And from a farmer, we learn about dedication. And there is something that connects all three of these illustrations. You see, the soldier that stops fighting before the battle is finished will never see victory. The athlete who disqualifies himself before the race even starts will never win. And the farmer who stops working before the harvest is complete will never see the fruit of his crops. See, as the theme of 2 Timothy has been, keep on going. Hands to the plow and don't look back. What the message is to you and I is to keep on fighting, to keep on running, and to keep on laboring for the work of the Lord. C.K. Barrett, he says this, beyond warfare is victory, beyond the athlete's effort is the prize, and beyond agricultural labor is the crop. And so my prayer for us today and for you is what we read in verse 7. That as we consider these things, may the Lord give us understanding for our own lives. Are we dedicated? Do we have the devotion that is required? And we do, do we have the discipline? May God continue to work in our life. And may we be open where if we see where we lack, that we allow God in his grace, right? Remember the strength to be able to live that life live the life of the devoted soldier or the disciplined athlete or the dedicated farmer. It will only come because of God's grace in our life. And so we must be strong in that grace. We must strengthen ourselves and the grace that he provides for us. Let's pray. God, we come before you and wow, your word is awesome. God, we thank you that you do put the cookies on the bottom shelf where we're able to reach. That, that though this is a book with words, it's not this intellectual thing that we can't reach or attain. We thank you for the richness of your word that we'll never know it completely. We'll never get tired of it. There's never gonna be a point where we can say we're experts. And so God, we thank you for the richness and the deepness but God, we love the simplicity that is in Christ, that even a child can comprehend and understand the weight of your word. That right now, children in this place, first and second grade, kindergarten, I'm sure they're crazy and running around, but they are learning your word. And you told us that unless we receive the kingdom of heaven as a little child, that we shall not enter. Lord, give us that humility and faith and focus, Lord, of a child. As we continue to pursue you, 
as we continue to look to your word. Lord, we want to fulfill what you've given us to do. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. And Lord, whatever you've given us in our life right now, help us not to drop it. Help us to be as the soldier and endure through the hard times, to be engaged in the battle, not to be entangled in the, in the distractions of this life. Help us to be disciplined, God. Help us to be devoted and hardworking. Or we trust that the faithful words that only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and let's...